What's up, everyone? Tyler Tambaline here, a.k.a. Toe Tag and Tambo. Back for another edition of the Monday show with my boy TJ. And we are going to go through all of the results from the weekend, all of the tournaments and GPPs and who won them and who took them down and how they did it. I'm uh, going to talk a little bit about my sweat, how that ended out. The golf tournament as a whole was awesome. Uh, we're getting into a, a later part of the season. It's the last event coming up here, the PGA Tour Championship. We will look at it. The pricing is out for DraftKings. It is a different style with the staggered scoring and all that. But want to make a couple announcements first before I bring in TJ, just to let you guys know. So with the end of the PGA Tour season, this show will also go away with that. So this will be our final show, at least for now. Uh, we may bring it back for the majors, TJ and I, and we may bring it back again, likely bring it back actually when everything settles down and after football is over. But I did want to talk about that because, you know, we're still going to go through a lot here with this show. And then there will still be other shows that you'll see in, as it pertains to golf. All the same content will still be out there. It's just one of the things that will go away. I'll still be on Tuesday with Cards and Noto. I'll still be on Wednesday doing my show with guests like bringing TJ back over. Uh, and then lastly, before I bring TJ in, just want to let you guys know I'm sitting here on the Roto Grinders homepage. A couple things. One, if you want to get to what we do in the weeks that we're going to be off and with the show gone away, it's just PGA, results DB, and then you'll get into it. But I also want to make note quickly here on the right-hand side, the lineup HQ NFL Q&A session with myself and Jordan Cooper at Blender HD. We are going to be doing a show Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be live. There's going to be YouTube question answers. You guys can put in anything you want to know there as we go through it. And the goal and intention, I'm sure you know this from Jordan being here a long time and, and hearing through some of his stuff, but it's going to be a lot more about how you build for what you want to build versus what are these exact settings? You know, I, when I'm talking on the Wednesday show is when it pertains to PGA, sometimes, you know, what settings are you using for this week? And typically it's the same sort of concept of what you're trying to accomplish. We're going to be talking about all that and more. So check us out on Wednesday. It's going to be a great show. I'm super excited for that. Let's bring in my man, TJ Lasig. What's happening, brother? Brother, brother how are you doing this week, man? I can't talk. How's it going? Doing, doing going well. Good. Congrats to you on the, the queue that you hit this past weekend. And what a finish to, to that tournament yesterday. I, I was actually away for a decent bit of the weekend, so I, I didn't get to watch a ton of the golf, but was certainly watching down the oh, finish man. on Sunday. And I mean, I, I can't remember ever seeing back-to-back -back putts made like that. I mean, I, I quickly went from DJ's putt being the, the best putt I think I've ever seen to less than 10 minutes later, uh, another one easily trumping that. It was, it was quite the finish between the top two golfers in the world. Yeah, I mean, missing some of the tournament was absolutely fine. What you needed to be there for, like you said, was the end, and that was the incredible part. You know, seeing those putts back-to-back, -back, I mean, the closest we had was kind of recent when you had JT Morikawa back-to-back in a playoff hole. You know, that speaks to some of the stuff. I know a lot of the talk on Twitter today around should the, you know, the finals or the playoffs in the PGA world be a match play, and I know some people hate on it. I'm just personally a fan. It has nothing to do with DFS, the contest, not them, you know, DraftKings not running con con uh, captain mode, whatever it might be. For me, it's more about that. Look how dialed in we are to something like that. And it wasn't even until, you know, DJ had to make the putt, first of all, to get it there, which was insane. I just saw the clip. They actually, if you didn't catch it, you should go check this out. PGA Tour just posted it uh, for everybody out there watching. Je uh, Neiman was being interviewed about how well his round went. Obviously, he crept his way up there. He didn't quite close it out or have a chance, but he, he made his way to the top there, third place finish. And in his interview, he hears the crowd that, you know, semi-crowd that we get nowadays and the times that we're in go nuts. And he goes, Oh my God, he made that. Like he couldn't believe DJ made that. He's like, that was not an easy putt. He says, so, you know, crazy to see that basically, you know, they said that he's every golf fan right now. That's what it is. And that's why I like a match play. And just to see, you know, when we knew DJ and Rom were heading to the playoff, I expected something great, you know, good, great, whatever. Not like that though. That was incredible uh, to see Rom drop that putt like that was, you know, just something you won't see. I think they said it was the longest on tour all year uh, for a win or, or for like a, to close out a turn. I can't I forget what the stat was now because now I think about Bryson making like a 97 footer one time, but either way, incredible event, a great way to end it. DJ, you know, comes up just short, but it was a great finish. Now we move on to this week. How'd your week go last week? Anything stand out for you in particular, TJ? I had an okay week. I uh, was, was pretty heavy on ROM, which, which is obviously very helpful given the win there. Uh, so yeah, had a, a pretty decent week overall. I was, Definitely surprised at how difficult the course played. I think that all of us were were expecting it to. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just was not expecting that at all. It seems like it kind of came out of left field with how difficult things were playing. 
but I, I kind of like that that change of pace as we talk about. You know, we've gotten a lot of birdie fests over the last couple months, so it's interesting to see these guys struggle. And uh, Rom's kind of emerging as the the difficult course king after winning the Memorial and now winning here at the BMW, the, the two most difficult challenges we've seen so far this year. Yeah, super impressive for him and for a guy that, you know, he's still so young. People may forget that, but people were – really on top of it for being like, oh, he can only win the Euro events and all this. And I was certainly never on that train. Guy is a, a beast. He's won all sorts of events. I think I saw something again. I apologize. I don't have the exact stats in front of me for everything that I cite off and all my rambles, but it was something around the lines of like 50, over, it was like 50% top 10 ratio for this guy over like a hundred events. Like it's just insane how good he is and how consistent he is. And now he's getting the, you know, we talk about in DFS all the time, variance and you know, keep putting yourself in that position. And it's going to happen. Uh, you know, we'll segue in a second, but that was sort of what's been happening for Rom. And now to win, you know, at Mirfield from with the Memorial and then to win at Olympia Fields. And like you said, yeah, even on Wednesday, I dialed it back quite a bit, but still thought maybe, you know, minus 10, minus 14 range, call it an average minus 12. I thought we were going to see something like that with no outliers. I said, we're not going to get the DJ outlier. What we'd seen at the Northern Trust was sort of what I expected. But yeah, this was a complete curveball really difficult conditions. You know, I trusted what DJ and Tiger had said, U.S. Open conditions. I just didn't think it was going to be that U.S. Open. I mean, people were joking, winged foot is jealous of Olympia Fields because they've got to set that thing up now, and that's the USGA who always gets given a hard time. And I think realistically, this is the way we want to see an event play out. This course setup, this style, for, for a U.S. Open, I'm saying, not every week, whereas week we want, you know, people do want the birdie fest, and we like those. But yeah, overall... Fantastic week. I'll bring up my lineup because you mentioned it and I appreciate that. You know, everyone's talking about it. I post it because it's not really, you know, for me, it's more of like an accolades thing. Like I like to get back to that world championship. It's just fun to be in it. You know, I was talking with producer Devin before the show and saying, you know, the idea of it is a 200 man down to 100 man down to 40 man. It's over three weeks. And then in the 40 man, you're playing for that. Now there's guaranteed money all along the way from 1000 up to 500,000 when you, if you win this thing, but the idea of getting into a 40 man where you're guaranteed 5,000 because you've made it that far already. And then 500 grand up top. That's a lot different than what I was playing in this week with 500 grand up top, as I'm sure, you know, many of you were, you know, 88,000 people or whatever it is playing in this event. So this was the lineup. I couldn't find the queue and results DB. I don't think it's there. It was the $5 queue, uh, you know, max 62 entries. So you just sort of pick and choose, your best 62 and put it into that. And that's how it shakes down. And if you look here, you know, DJ Rom, this just came out of nowhere. You know, I liked Connors, Griffin, Joel Damon. I didn't really like Harmon that much, but again, when you get this many guys, it's kind of just how it fits. And the sad part was, you know, it's not, you know, it's just one of those things that it comes out, but this lineup 1459, I think it was here. Yeah. So starting the day going in TJ, I was sitting eighth and 14th going into round four in this tournament. In the set in the tournament, this just goes to show for everybody how much it can change in a day. Uh, DJ Hideki, Kisner, Nah, Connors, and Neiman was sort of the outlier with Nah that they needed to make a move. Obviously, one made a move, they both made a move, all right. Nah was just in the wrong direction. Neiman certainly moved up. And then this lineup was the 3v3 I had was again DJ Hideki, Kisner, who were all way up the board going into Sunday. Scott was up there, Lanto was up there. And then I wake up and I'm like, okay, the other lineup's dead with Kevin Na just blowing it up, but Joel Damon's going off, right? So I'm feeling good about this. And then Kisner and Scott completely disappear. All of a sudden, that other lineup appears out of nowhere and got extremely lucky. You know, the John Rom thing was one thing, but I was already in the, the playoff with both of them, just reviewing it. But I needed the DJ putt to go down. So that one to me, the 66 footer for Rom is awesome for him and the tournament and everything. But I could, I, once I made it, I was basically DJ needed that for my three points. I was down a point. And if he makes just par there, I, I end up coming another second in the queue by 0.5. So, you know, boohoo, poor me overall, I'm excited. You know, it's the third times the charm. Like I said, it was two times the last three weeks that this had happened. I thought this was going to blow it up after all these, you know, other lineups sort of fizzled out and overall good week. Uh, could have been a lot better, but I mean, this is still great. And it's a nice consolation prize. Happy to be back in again. Thanks for the congrats. How did your week go overall as far as main slate weekend showdown? I know you said you might've been out of the loop for a little bit, but did you play anything over the weekend too? And then how did classic slate break down for you? Yep. So classic slate, I, I was like slightly down on DK, but had a, a pretty nice FanDuel lineup where nice went for like a, 
a full double in my main lineup there and then played some some weekend on FanDuel only. I didn't oftentimes I play all the showdowns, but since I was out of town, I didn't want to uh <laughs> make any stupid mistakes and then try to try to do too much. I, I I've learned over the years that it's okay to to miss a slate every now and then and and, and step away and, and enjoy enjoy yourself. So overall, solid week. Um a little, a little disappointed that things are, are winding down here, but you know, we'll, we'll we'll be back for some of the majors in the fall to be good. And obviously we have football coming up, which for for some reason yeah. I still like has not registered in my brain that we're going to have NFL games in in just a, a few couple short days here. It's but, just crazy, right? The mix of what we're, we're just so close. And normally you're like yeah. anticipating one versus the other and all that. And now it's just the way it's all going to come together. And at the same time, I mean, we're going to have majors going on during football. You know, like we're going to have the masters. We're going to have all this stuff happening, uh, you know, at different times. So it's going to be, you know, really interesting to see how that plays out. Going to be a lot of fun content packed. Of course, I'm going to be around. I got a lot of different shows that I'm doing as far as NFL are concerned. Like I mentioned at the top, I'm still going to be around for a bunch of PGA shows, the main shows, all the stuff that you guys expect, but let's break this down, man. This is the $25. Uh, first, first up top was 500 K AJ Billig, 453.5, which is two entries takes down the 500 K. He's got John Rom, Tony Finau, Hideki, Kokrak, Brendan Todd, and Lanto Griffin. And what I thought was surprising is no DJ. And it's probably goes to show, not saying my lineup's terrible because it got there. I'm happy, but it is tough in these events to get like a double stud lineup, like a Rom DJ and get it to play out and have value. Obviously, you know, 416 that I'd scored just to compare it against wasn't even close to the top here. So it just goes to show that, but in a smaller 2000 or 2200 person field in a queue, it can still get you there. So you do got to kind of monitor that a little bit, but it's worth taking a shot. I didn't play very many of them, but what do you think about AJ Billig's lineup here? It looks pretty good. Obviously it took down the money, but just the overall setup of the build and then how the results played out. Yeah. I like the build here overall. It's got kind of one of the, the two main ownership structure breakdowns that, that we tend to see at the top, right? We have the, the one where it's like the two, two, two of two over 20, two mm -hmm. in between 10 and 20 and two under. The other one is this kind of 3-3 three, three breakdown where, where you've got three guys in the 15% the range and then three guys that are lower owned. So love that from, from the perspective there. And you can also see that the, the ownership breaks down directly with this uh, person's higher-priced guys, right? So starting with Rom, hitting two guys in the, the AK and Finau and Matsuyama. Love all three of those plays there. Rom was my top overall play for the week that, that I just thought, you know, in these stronger field events some of these more challenging courses uh, i think ram is is probably my my straight up pick over anyone uh Finau just continues to put up those results right uh he he, he did it a no. little he, he had his, his big sunday when he didn't need it or you know it wasn't yeah. enough to, to help him win but i think he shot five or six under yesterday and then hideki was just like chipping in like crazy too wasn't he uh, he feels yeah like he, a lot he had of a crazy the green and, and putting yeah. for sure yeah yeah a lot of uh definitely a, a unique way of hideki getting there but like that overall and then the the three lower owned cheaper priced guys at the bottom all, all people that i think have relatively strong recent form kokrak has low-key i think that's now three top 15s in a row for him so someone who's always always can bomb it out there and very, very long-term, a, a decent enough golfer. And then Todd always finds his way up there. I think he gained like seven strokes putting again, but that's just what Brendan Todd does. So eventually <laughs> we can't, can't keep saying that that's just luck. I mean, he, he's just a very good putter. I think that's a fact at this point. And then uh, Lanto, he was, he was in your lineup as well, right? He's been, yeah. Been able to Lanto's been score. so solid under 7k. Yeah. It just continues. And this week's even more interesting when we get to the preview for the tour championship later, we'll have a look at it, but yeah, a couple things stood out to me. I kind of what you said. I mean, keeping the ownership low overall too, right? 65%, give or take. I'm just putting my, you know, quick fast math hat on. It's around that. And, and I think that's important in a tournament of this size where it was a smaller field. And if you're going to use max cap, which AJ Billig did use the full $50,000 provided, it makes sense. So I, I do like the overall setup of the build. You know, thinking about some of the stuff, like you said, the funny part about Finau was like, imagine if he had a won this event at my, like, you know how to get, it was starting to get a little bit more difficult as the afternoon went on. He was he's sitting at plus one or sitting at minus one in the clubhouse. It just would have been so comical if he just, you know, the other guys blow it and Fino ends up getting a win that way because it was funny. Like you said, him and Todd, who both happen to be in this lineup 
are two guys that have sort of cracked under pressure on the Sundays, right? I know Todd's closed tournaments this year, but he also had some 54-hole leads that he didn't close and not only didn't close, but left a lot out there, you know, sevens and eights on par fours and stuff like that, just getting the yips back a little bit. So there was that, you know, but overall a solid build for the way it went. It looks like it was almost built for, you know, the strategy of the tournament's going to be very hard now go with this because you got a guy like Rom, who, like you said, sort of building that reputation, but has done well at pretty much all courses. And then if you think about who just did well at the Memorial, he would have been in there uh, like Fino uh, and Fino had a bad Sunday at the Memorial. I remember because it cost me a lot of money, but I do know that, you know, you think about a guy, that's going to come top 10 in a 70 man event. Well, he's doing it in 156 man events. So definitely fine play, you know, same for Decky. Todd guy hits fairways and greens can, you know, has been there all year upside for his price. Lanto as the low owned, you know, the under 7K, the performance, and then just hope that Kokrak, and like you said, Kokrak turns it on, has been lately low-key, but last year the same thing. He actually snuck in to the Tour Championship at the last spot last year. He's considered Canadian. I'm Canadian, so I was bringing this, you know, little tidbits up, but now this year was nice to see Mac Hughes do the same. So not in this lineup off topic, but Kokrak really tried his best, man. Had a good Sunday. I think he ended up finishing 41st. Need to be top 30. I know it was a long shot, but I'm just saying, keep, to keep his head down, the mindset there, and keep grinding away, that was good to see. So the overall build makes a lot of sense. And then the other thing I knew, you know, I wanted to point out and, and that stood out to me was just kind of what I expected. And, and I got to see, I'm pretty sure Morikawa had a fantastic weekend, uh, you know, and Berger was sort of up there. But other than that, you know, Xander, I guess they're in the mix, but they weren't needed. And sort of that was my hot take of the week was I was saying that 9K range really was not important or not as important. You know, I really did like just Morikawa and then moving on. The 8K range was so stacked. You think about Finau, Matsuyama, it had Reed, Scott, you know, all these other guys. Not all of them did good. I'm just saying who was in there. It was really tough to validate that 9K range up above. Uh, Anything else on this lineup or this tournament as a whole there? No, no, great, great lineup, and always good to see someone being able to take it down with only the the two entries there. So yeah, me- members wise, I mean, pause eleven seventy one was in second. Five lineups, uh, go Sixers, go seventy six. Just a fantastic player in all sports. You see him around, getting heated up right now. He's got football coming around. For those of you that remember last year, he's got uh, some heavy duty football weekends ahead of him. And and I've seen multiple, you know, high six figure. You know, I don't know if I've seen a seven figure yet, but he. Puts a lot into that, and good on him. Uh, a really solid grinder. Peter Gibbons, the same. He's always around. Tiki Tyler, Zion Crest, all, all these guys. So a lot of multi-enters were, were up there as far as, you know, 150 lineups was the way to get there. But two and five to take it down first and second. Awesome to see for six-figure scores, especially, you know, A.J. Billig at the top and then pause 1171 NRG members. So with that said, we'll move it across. The, t- the finishes are a little bit different, you'll see here. Uh, we're going to go to the $5 drive to green. There's more people in the field. Interestingly enough, uh, actually lesser score took it down, which is normally not the case from all these reviews that we do. And you see, you see go Sixers go there again. Uh, same thing, you know, second place right there, picking up another 30 K at 75,000 in the previous event, but P Donnelly, 414, 449.5, uh, very similar lineup. I think it's just Fitzpatrick and Damon are the only two swaps, right? It was, what was it? Lanto Griffin. Yeah. And Kokrak and Kokrak. Yeah. So not another one of those things you, you see some of the same, we can look at go Sixers goal lineup just to get a, another look. And his is just another two V two Woodland Neiman. It's going to be a lot of that. I was trying to find, uh, you know, DJ, DJ Rom lineups. If there was any more up top, you know, this was the closest without Rom K Mac. Another RG member had DJ no Rom, but then had Neiman, Finau, Decky, Kokrak, Steele, all the guys that actually, besides, you know, Steele, I mean, that one hurts a little, but the rest actually did stuff over the weekend. So that was there. And then I don't think I saw, is this it There's here? one. Yeah, yeah, I think this is it here. Scott, uh, 0084, 150 lineups. It was a DJ, Rom, Neiman, Hughes, who I just mentioned. Man, this is a good lineup. See, this is what's yeah. crazy, right? You look at something That's crazy like that this. that doesn't win, right? You would think that if you're going to have a DJ, Rom lineup, that... I mean, every, yeah, I all think, those guys were around there. That's what stood out to me right away looking at it, right? You got, you know, but I guess, you know what it is? It's a classic thing in PGA DFS, TJ. It's the recency bias. And Hughes and Joel and Joel Damon are at 57 and 55 points. But why do we think about them as they should be right there? Because they had a hot Sunday run. And yeah. you're like, of course, that they'd be in the winning lineup. But no, that's not the case, right? Points are what matter. We're going to get to that when we get to it later. Don't think there's a lot of time to be spent on it. This is where it got a little bit interesting for me is something more like 
you know, the 888, because now those two are so similar, the large fields. This was only 1,000 people or less. Uh, Sparty Party 27 took it down with a single bullet. Common theme for this show that we've been doing, TJ, where it's just one lineup can get the job done, right? We've seen it time and time again. You know, a lot of people worry about, oh, I'm up against so many people. Yes, Muck Lovin has 30. He still comes away with 50 grand, profitable, makes money, whatever. But Sparty Party up there with one lineup, 405 points versus what we saw before with 453 and 449 or whatever it was. Uh, what do you think about his lineup as far as the overall construction is? Yeah, I mean, I think the the first thing that you notice is ownerships slightly getting inflated with with Ram and, and Matsuyama. They were what, like 15, 17% as we go higher in stakes, lower in number yeah. of entries, they, they, they'll tend to inflate a bit. Um, I think... You know, general general construction wise, definitely like it. Getting two studs in there, one of the middling guys, and then three lower priced guys that uh, that are more of the punt plays that are going to be lower owned. Fratelli was someone that I had been looking at a bit as well this week. He's been mm-hmm. been playing pretty well decently. Ben on I think fits fits the profile on some more difficult courses like this, just because he's got a, a pretty decent around the green game so for those tournaments where it's not about all about putting that that's when you want to get Benny on in there and then uh Harmon that, that was a guy that you played as well too and he, he's just been he's been pretty inconsistent I would say not, not even weekend oh, to sure. weekend but like literally round around but has shown that he can can go low on any given round or, or any given weekend so I like the construction overall I mean I think I think R- Rory at 14 percent is interesting to me I just I feel like every week it's like, oh, Rory's going to be so low owned. Like that's the contrarian play. But like it's only 21% versus 14% with Rom versus Rory. So to me, that's yeah. just a general takeaway of like when it comes to the expensive guys, for the most part, they're they're all going to have some sort of ownership. So just just kind of go with the the ones that you like and the ones that you think are the best play. And I just think that someone like Rory is, is almost never going to be that low owned because people like to play Rory. Right. And, and what he is, is basically, um, obviously much better golfer and much, you know, more expensive usually, but the fan base, as far as, you know, DFS and darling and playing him, it's a, it's like Ricky Fowler, no matter how bad he does, Roy was on a bad run. Didn't have any top tens. Again, they're not comparable. Roy's here and Ricky's down here as far as what their achievements are and how they're seen by the, you know, general golf world out there because of the majors and the accolades and all, they're not comparable in that sense. But what I'm saying when it comes to DFS and ownership you'd always see where Ricky was just terrible sitting at 8,600 and he would still come out with like 10 to 15% ownership because just everybody loves Ricky Fowler. It's the same thing here. It's a little bit different. It's not as much as the fandom as it is people saying, look, Rory's just too good to let this continue to happen. And like you said, all these things went up. The ownerships as far as stakes and you go up to 888, you know, this tournament's $888 buy-in. All of these guys are higher than they were in the other range. And a guy like Rory went up even higher because that's where people are thinking, I'm going to pivot over to that. And it's actually sort of the reverse, because now everybody's thinking that, and that's how you're going to get your upside. Now, in this case, it worked, which is amazing and awesome for Sparty Party 27. But I'm saying that the thought process is kind of like you said, if it's going to be almost 15, call it, and 21, 22, it's kind of just pick who you like, or in this case, play them both and make it work. But yeah, you could have you know, had more optimal lineups and ones that would have passed it. Uh, you know, Let's look at a couple others here. So Rom... Hideki English, just going back to your point on Benny on, I think that's a good call because, uh, you know, the way it is, if his ball striking's on like it can be, then you're set because you're getting a $6,800 guy that can really have some upside for you. And if it's not, he's still got a pretty good around the green game and doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He normally is, keep in mind, a lot of these guys that, you know, we get so frustrated about over their putting is typically they're missing for our scoring points. They're still making pars, and this week par was a good score. So that's something like yeah, that with a guy like exactly. Benny on. You do have to keep that in mind when you're building your lineups, and you're building accordingly for what you want your lineups to achieve for that said week. Again, I was you know hit you know at a left field as far as the you know winning score was in the end. I didn't expect that at all, but uh, awesome still. Like I said, the event was great. Uh, this next time, I'm just want to look at a couple more here. Sasonius has John Rom, Hideki Matsuyama, Harris English. Henley, Connors, Neiman. And I bring it up just because, you know, it's again, it's another extremely different build. And this has a few more names that we didn't really see at all. Besides, you know, like English, Henley, Connors. They're they're all just sort of getting mixed in and still scoring almost 400 points. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. I think what what you start to see in some of these, like we were just talking about, is the profile of the the ball striker that that maybe isn't the best putter. I mean, look at this lineup. You've got Hideki, you've got Henley, you've got Connors, and you've got Neiman. I, I would say that all four of those guys pretty much fit that that mold of being historically solid ball strikers and, and tending to struggle with the putter. Uh, Harris English, he, he had a tough Sunday, at least, I know. I uh, played him a little bit. Yeah, it was a rough thought, week for Mr. Yeah, English. I, I mean, I thought he was was definitely a little bit overpriced at 8,300, but I, I still think that he was a solid play. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty close between him and Adam Scott, right? I think Adam Scott was at 8,200. So, he was 8,200, yeah. I was trying Scott, to find a Scott lineup to see what his Well, Scott was score. crushing him all weekend, but then I think they both, they both struggled on Sunday. So was the gap was probably not Sunday, as big. Man. So 46 and points. a half. Wow. In the end, my God, that uh, yeah. was so Three bad. Man. He, was, yeah. he was crushing, but yeah, an event like this too, the position points are so important. Right. And that's yeah. where, again, we were, we were all on the page, you know, Wednesday of maybe, okay, it's not going to be as crazy low scoring, but we aren't going to go that aggressive just because of that. And it almost was one of those things where you had to, because that's what it really came down to. This lineup also looks a lot like to do with recent form. You know, you look at guys coming in like English, Henley, Rom. There, there's a lot of guys that were, you know, needing stuff or doing well coming in. And then Mark Lovin, look at his lineup just to round it out before we get to the last. And, and then we'll spend a little more time on the preview just because it's kind of different this week. But his was Rom. Cantlay ended up, you know, finishing quite well, actually. And then, you know, when you think about it, 61 and a half versus that, you know, what we just saw, saw with Scott and English at their 83, 8200. Reed did not come through, right? 8,800. Uh, you know, but again, the 9K range was just so unnecessary. It really wasn't needed when you had all these guys, Cantley, Reed, Matsuyama, Scott, English. The 8K range was just stacked. And then, yeah, Munoz, Joel Damon, the, these guys are all, Munoz is another new one you see down there, but you basically had, uh, you know, the ability. And if you look here, the interesting part with Mark Lovin's lineup is the ownership, right? Very He's got 21, 17, 14, 21, 21. And then, you know, Munoz is his one-off. So it's, you know, huge ownership overall, but with a really super low owned Munoz to sort of be different and still use the full salary. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. I, I have to imagine that no, that McLovin and, and no one was expecting Damon to be 21% owned. I mean, that, that's right. right. Like I'm sure when he was building this, that he probably thought that Damon and Munoz would both be under 10% or maybe Damon's right around 10%. So you'd think you'd think that shout out to notorious our boy because he was all over Joel Damon and I think he's moving the needle when it comes to that because that's an insane could be. I mean that's really 21%. high for Damon that's yeah. really 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 high for him I think I think Gooch was at the same price too or 6600 or something and and I think he was he was relatively chalky in there too so I mean I think yeah that'd be probably the going going in assumption would, would maybe be that Damon would come in lower own so it's de- definitely a, a chalkier lineup but again it also just goes to show like <laughs> there's a reason that players are chalky and it's because they're good high equity plays and just because a lineup is chalky doesn't mean it can't finish up there in, in a tournament now obviously when you're in the smaller fields that becomes more and more the case right you can get away with it a lot more whereas we almost would never see this come in the top five in a in a big tournament just because you know, you need to have basically the perfect combination if you're going to have a bunch of guys that are 20% owned across the board. But exactly. overall, real solid. Love the build structure of having one elite play, skipping over the 9K range like you talked about, and then having having two punts. I thought that the the kind of two punt structure was pretty optimal this week, and it, and that's those are two two good ones to pick, um, just from yeah. a results perspective. So. Mark Lovin's my guy. I love this guy and, and he knows what he's doing. So it's like you said, it's sort of a, you know, build for where you're at. And we talk about this a lot of times. We don't see these builds in the $25. And like you said, it's just, be, you know, as total ownership goes. But I think the bigger thing is when you look at like the two 6K guys alone should have been sort of contrarian in a sense where I know a lot of people want to use them, but how many were going to use Joel Damon and Munoz. And in the end, it's a unique lineup. So there's nothing to really talk about there when it comes down. It's not that it's not unique. It just goes to show that there's more ways, right? That's what we're always trying to look at here is how can you get to the top? What are other successful players doing and how do they have their builds set up and see where they go with it? You know, you look at another one here, Peter Gibbons, we saw him uh, just crushing it in the $25, 
Here's his best in the 888 to round this one out. And it's, you know, similar to Mark Lovin almost again, again, two extremely good players, you know, as far as DFS is concerned. And you look at this, John Rom, Rory, Hideki, Connors. It's the two 6K punt, but he's still got four guys over 14%. And then he's actually doesn't have the 3% guy in like Munoz as, as McLovin had, but he's got the other guy in Connors. So again, there's, there's plenty of ways to get there and counterbalance your lineup and make it happen. But good job to these guys. Good job to Sparty Party 27 up top. Taken down first for 200000 You can look quickly at the uh, $200 single entry. I had that up just to see. Uh, but it's it's just much of the same, right? So, you know, congrats to Brian XLL, 100000 He had Rom, Finau, Hideki, Henley, Kokrak, and Joel Damon. It's very similar to the lineup that we saw earlier, right? It's a, a little bit, maybe a one-off or a, two, a 2v2 or something like that. Uh, PSU Mav. Member at RG got second, 40,000. He had DJ Rom Harmon, similar to mine in, in a sense of those ones. And then Kokrak, Steele, Damon, a lot of upside in there. Couple, you know, two guys under 7%. DJ was right around 10, so, so pretty close there. Nice build. He's also the winner of the Fantasy Golf Degenerates podcast, Lister League, which Kenny and I will talk about later. And I should note with the mention at the top of the show of everything that's changing, that will also still be ongoing. So for those of you asking and thinking about that podcast with Kenny Kim and myself, we'll still be bringing it to you every week for the Safeway, for everything, you know, this week for the Tour Championship, then the Safeway, and then uh, moving it from there, all the events as they come back. U.S. Open is after that, and, and then sort of the normal swing season as they bring it back. So it's going to be fast and furious when it comes to all of this content. I do want to spend, though, and this is why I want to jump ahead and skip some of these last ones, TJ. Uh, I'm not sure how much you played it last year, but last year was the first time that the staggered scoring was brought into play. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, I can, I've got it up here for you. This is how the Tour Championship leaderboard is going to begin. And why I want to bring this up is because it brings an element into DraftKings, which we'll get to in a second. But essentially what it is, it's based on how they're, you know, how they've done and where they landed in the rankings. They get some advantage. So DJ gets much of the advantage at 10 under. But again, because Rom is right there behind him and, and Thomas and so on and so forth, only the first place uh, guy gets the two-stroke lead. After that, it goes down to one stroke. So Rom over JT is one. JT over Webb is one, so on and so forth, with the idea being that, you know, this can change in a heartbeat, right, TJ? What's your thoughts on the overall structure? And then, I mean, obviously, over 72 holes, this can change really quickly as far as these guys at the top go. Yeah. Yeah, I think it should be pretty interesting from from a DraftKings perspective, and we'll get into the pricing, but obviously they, they completely revamped how they priced as a result of this, which I think is a cool dynamic as well. My initial gut on it would be, like, with with the way these scores are starting, I mean, I think that, and I haven't even looked at the Vegas odds, but the like, DJ Rom and JT, just given the, the lead that they already have and the fact that they're DJ Rom and JT, are probably going to be massive favorites just in terms of, of outright win equity. And then, mm -hmm. to me, once you get, you know, if you're starting at minus four or minus three versus even, I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference because the difference in the, the birdies that get made between those guys is what the DK scoring will come down to more so than the finishing points. So from a build perspective, you probably want to have one or two guys in your lineup that, that you could see winning it outright. And then after that, think more about the scoring and, you know, try in some ways it's similar to Sunday showdown, but, but obviously weights still much heavier towards the placement points just because the the birdies are worth more in the Sunday showdown but it's a similar type of format I mean you know you look at the bottom of the list someone someone like Victor Hovland he's super super cheap this week way way cheaper than he would ever be so I think you'll see guys like that get popular just because he can yeah. run up the leaderboard and, and make some birdies in the process should be yeah, certainly important to remember, you know, DraftKings versus betting and all these factors, because it's not likely that any of these guys would ever win the tournament down here sitting at even. Right. It's just it's so hard for them, no matter what their output's going to be to compete with someone, even if DJ has the worst week and drops to third or fifth or whatever. You know, last year, I'll give you a quick example, but I'll finish that point is that but you got to remember that this is for daily fantasy. It's totally different. All you, the, Will these guys win? No. Will they be on the winning lineup? Possibly. So you got to remember that, right? That's sort of the key takeaway. And I'll just bring up last year. I don't have it in front of me of how it began, but I just remember off the top of my head and some of the pre-search that I've done 
going into this week is Rory started last year in fifth, I believe, and ended up winning. And just and JT was in first and fell down to third. But the biggest one, just to give you guys an idea, you're like, oh, John Rom, there's no way. He's on fire right now. He just beat DJ in a playoff. He can't be stopped. He won Memorial. All these same sort of factors were talked about, you know, not quite as in-depth because, you know, Rom's on a little bit of a different run. And I think still a more superior talent, but talent by quite a bit. But Patrick Cantley is a great golfer. 70, 71, 75, 73. And the reason I bring him up, because he started in the two-hole last year at eight under and fell all the way down to T21. So I haven't went in reverse yet. I'm excited to do that after this. I'll talk about it more on the podcast that Kenny and I do. But I will look at, you know, sort of who made the biggest jump to the, from the bottom to the top. But definitely keep that in mind when you're looking at this. This is sort of what the board looks like. Let's look at the pricing quickly here. Uh, what's, you know, the first thing that stands out is obviously DJ 15.2 and Rom 12.7. It's only two strokes. What I want to ask you is, do you think DJ is going to be very high owned? Or do you think that they sort of priced him out of what could be optimal based on it just being a two-stroke lead? And again, he could be, you know, three, four holes in and he could be flip-flop with Rom, and that's a 10-point swing on the position points that he'll start with. And then it can obviously go either way from there. But what's your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I got to think that he's, I mean, he'll still be owned, but it's got to be lower owned. They, they really, really priced him up, and rightfully so. I think that if he was also sitting at 13K, then he'd probably be way too chalky. So I think it's it's a lot of of juice to lay. I mean, what you're looking at a, a 2,500 difference between DJ and Rom for right. you know for two strokes. I mean, Rom I think will be the the pop the most popular starting point would would be my guess. Just given that he you get the 2,500 savings on DJ, he's only two strokes behind, which like you just said could be made up in in a matter of two holes, literally. And yeah. he's playing so well. So I, I think that we'll see DJ come in lower end and more people will, will gravitate maybe towards that ROM and JT area. So that, I mean, that was my first look at like I, I agree. optimal build you, is how, how do you play ROM and JT together? Okay. I was going to ask you them. that next. I was going to say, it's really, t- I mean, you can make DJ lineups, no problem. Are they the, you know, likely what you see is what could be optimal. Maybe, you know, you know, try some, some out if you got, 20 plus lineups and get them in there. But for me, it doesn't look right as of now. See, as the week goes on, I also want to see sort of what ownership projections say as the week goes on. I do think you've got it pegged here perfectly. I, I'm sort of leaning JT over Rom just because, you know, I know it's a tough course factor again, but I think Rom is really going to be the most owned and heavily owned for right, for good reason. But at the same time, you know, what's it's one stroke and JT is again, you know, 800 bucks less behind him web 900 cheaper than that for two strokes behind rom like it's a lot of guys here and then you go morikawa is 2.3k cheaper has been crushing it in his own right and he's right there behind rom three strokes over 72 holes it's literally nothing uh you know it can happen on the first day again it's not really likely that everybody at the top is going to collapse that gives all the guys at the back a chance to get back in it so i'm not saying that but i'm saying at the top can shake up quite a bit. So there is going to be some leverage plays to be had. Uh, where are you at in this next range? Sort of Webb, Morikawa, Bryson. And then keep keep in mind, guys, too, Rory. Got to talk about him quickly before I get back to you, TJ. Is, uh, he said it, and he's very vocal about it. His wife, Erica, is pregnant with their first. He's having a, a little girl. Obviously, having your first child, for those of you that are parents, is you know a life-changing event like no other. So I Rory said it already. He's like, I don't care. He said, I'll be at a lot of, of tour championships. I know that confident in his game but he should be and at the same time he said i won't there's only one time for this so he's like i'll be there if it's happening and, and again that would to be be expected but that could change the slate quite a bit because it, again it drops it right down to 29 and the way the pricing set up it i don't know if they accounted for that or not it's hard to tell but they it sort of changes things quite a bit because then you almost would have a thousand dollars you have 800 bucks between bryson and hideki again if 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 but they said any day now also keep in mind, lastly, before I get back to you there, is that the normally this happens, I believe, during TPC Boston week where it's the holiday weekend and it's the Friday to Monday tournament. That is happening this week now because of the way it's set up for the tour championship. So this is not a Thursday through Sunday event. This is a Friday through Monday event. So just another thing to remember. But yeah, sorry, I'll let you answer the question, TJ. Webb, Morikawa, Bryson, that's an interesting range. What's your thoughts on that? And again, going back to the leaderboard, it's very close. I think it matches up almost, except Bryson because of his odds over 
a guy like Berger or English are going to have to be up there, and they're using betting odds typically on DraftKings. So what are you thinking about for that range? Yep. Uh, yeah, I think I think once you get once you get down here, it's it's start to you want to factor in those starting placement points, but at the same time, I think just pick pick the guys that you like. Morikawa is probably my preference off the jump. Just like you said, he, he's been playing well, has shown that he can do it. He's starting at what minus minus, minus five. five. So I think he you know he has that win equity and, and that chance to win if he does well. And I mean, the, the interesting thing there is just the, the upside that presents itself of like, okay, if Morikawa wins, then that means that he probably went really low, right? Because he has five strokes that he needs to, to make up for. Whereas DJ could win with less upside because he doesn't need to score as many DraftKings points in order to win the tournament. So I think it's just a really interesting week in general. We don't talk about it much in golf, but to, to kind of come up with a, a narrative or a story that you want your lineup to tell of like, okay, here's a lineup where, you know, I'm going to make the assumption that DJ and Rom fall off and neither of them finish in the top five somehow. And if that is what happens, you know, what becomes the optimal lineup and, and how do I think through that process? And maybe the way you think through that is, okay, I think Morikawa is going to you know, go super, super low and, and end up winning the tournament at 15 under or 16 under, whatever a reasonable score is there. So I think now, it, it go, creates some fun dynamics like that. I'll go back here. Yeah, we want we love creating narratives. If you want to create one, Rory won this thing at 18 under last year by four strokes, and he started in the five hole like Morikawa. So yep, that's exactly. Uh, that's exactly what can happen, right? And again, JT was number one last year going in and finishes third these guys were all up there brooks was up there and falls but like they still hold on to their score but then keep in mind too uh east lake this is a you know another extremely challenging course where it's it's going to be tough conditions and you know it's built for that rory just destroyed last year if you look here it's 66 67 68 66 talk about a great week i mean that's how you do it can more cow do that i don't know i know more cow really struggled last week over the first couple days and then turned it on heavy over the weekend. So he has sort of done it in the right factor where he's pieced it together, got some confidence coming off the weekend, and now gets to go in. JT, by the way, chipped in to end his round, uh, the last holy place, the whole 72 for him on the week. So he's got some momentum as well and says he likes this course. Uh, not going to spend time on all of it, but I mean, like, let's go you know, big on this one from Rory down to Finau. That's the entire 8 and 9K range. Obviously, you only got a 30-man field. Just if a couple guys stand out to you, that's all. Yep. So Xander definitely stands out to me as I feel like he always does. Um, my, my typical Xander over Berger, even though Berger continues to outperform him, but, um, yeah. Xander definitely, I'm not even sure did he did Berger beat Xander again this past weekend. Let's see. Berger got 25th. What did Xander end up at? Probably around the same. I feel like, uh, yep. 20 up. They tied. T25 for each of them. So, I mean, I think that they're, they're both good plays kind of as always right in that range. Again, once we, once we get into this point, if you're starting two, three, four under, I think it's all kind of the same and it's really just a matter of who you think is going to score from that point. So Berger and Xander definitely stick out to me in that range. Finau as well, all the way down at the bottom. I think those would be my, my top three. The, The Rory one's interesting because he, I mean, I think he definitely stands out two at nine seven so we'll want to continue to monitor that situation throughout the week like in your view is it a he could potentially leave in the middle of the tournament correct yeah i was just gonna say that that's that's what makes this so you basically have to almost x him out well not of like mme stuff but obviously if you're if you're trying to make one to three lineups you don't want to take that yeah we have to wait and see we need more information for sure but as it stands and the way they were describing it and the way rory was saying it and they're talking like any day literally that makes it a bigger deal because I mean, if she has, and the other factor is it's, you know, who knows, this is Roy McIlroy. He could do anything. If she, you know, has the baby on Wednesday, does he say, look, I was there for the birth. So I'm still all in on this tournament. That's my job. I'm a professional. I've got to go up and perform. Or does he say, I'm going to be there with my wife and child and that's how it's going to go. And I'm just going to take this year. It's really up in the air. We don't know. It's all speculation. So I don't want to spend too much time, but you do make a good point for your builds because of that. Now, if nothing comes of it, 
I'm still with you on the MME thing because what if she has the baby on Saturday? He could come out with a 65 blazing, take over and be right up there in the mix. And then she has the baby overnight on Friday or whatever. Who knows? And then who, he's going to take off. That's all we know. So you will have to factor that in. Uh, one key point that you brought up, like I said, in the spirit of not going through just every name, you know, I like the guys you said. I'm with you. Very early first look. But I think, you know, what you want to take away, I don't know if it even needs to be said, but definitely don't be, you know, I'm going to take Berger over, uh, you know, who did you just mention? Xander, because he's got a one-stroke lead on him. I mean, these that means nothing, uh, like I said, on 72 holes. So don't even play who yeah. you want to play. Right. Don't, don't have that be the reason for why you're going to pick one guy over the other. Not that, even that as a tiebreaker. Valid yeah, exactly. reason. Yeah, it shouldn't even, aside nothing. from the top guys, it really shouldn't even be a factor, in my opinion. Yeah, and we um, already talked about that with DJ almost being a, a you know a determining factor on why not. Now we'll see. Again, if you want to think that DJ is going to go pull, you know, DJ mode like he did, it's not going to be that you know eleven under or sorry, beat the thirty under, beat the field by eleven strokes type thing that we saw at the Northern Trust. But I'm saying if you think he's going to go in DJ takeover mode where he just cruises the whole way and just wins this thing by three or four, then you'll have to make that decision and see what your builds look like, right? Uh-huh. Mess around with them. I, I always like to do you know, 10, 15 hand builds, even on a Monday, if I'm playing 150, I'll, I'll do maybe five, 10, 15 in that range just to get a feel for it. And I might even change them later. It's just more of, you know, get that feel of what the build build process or, or construction process is going to look like for the week. Uh, drop it down to round it out here, TJ. We'll end with this. Uh, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, I guess we'll do a little. Uh, Scotty Scheffler down to answer. Let's do the next range here uh-huh. quick. Just maybe one or two guys that stand out there for you. Yeah, I mean, I think Hovland definitely stands out just in terms of, you know, Hovland and Hatton probably, guys that are typically in that 8K range that, that their prices now come all the way down. And it's come all the way down because of their starting position. Although Hatton at minus two, Hovland at zero. Again, we, it, it doesn't really matter because... Yeah. I wonder if things like the so hard recency, for one of them to win. But uh, like, yeah, like, like Neiman, Hovland and Neiman. Neiman yeah. I'm thinking. Yep, Neiman's an interesting one to look at. Answer was was the darling two weeks ago, and now it's just <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I'm not really super interested in him and, anymore at the moment. Scheffler continues to to play pretty solid, up at seven nine. Where where does he start at? He starts at. He is, is he at uh, two? Sitting there, two under as well. Yeah, two most of these well. guys are, yeah. and, and I think All that's the overlooked start. range, right? Scheffler, Todd, M, maybe even Hatton. We'll see. I don't know. Got to see how it shakes out. But but I think like Hovland, Neiman. And Kiz even has been, as of late, answer. You know, Kiz will for sure, because I was bringing this up all last week and why I liked him last week, and he just didn't work out on Sunday for me. But he really likes money, first of all. And second of all, this is a spot he's done well. He's got a seventh and ninth here in two of the last three years. So, I mean, if he gets you a seventh or ninth, coming out of 21st, now, you know, that's been part of it. I got to go back and look at exactly which ones and what happened. But uh, where's it at here? Kisner. Yeah, ninth was last year. Uh, again, don't know where he started at, but my point is he's done well here in the past. And if you want to just say forget the staggered stuff, go back here and look at Kisner. 71, 70, 68, 68. Those are some pretty good rounds on a course that this that's this tough. So I think he could get a little because. love, but definitely Hovland will be the chalk from what I can see right now. Neiman for sure after that Sunday and some of the stuff that he's been interviewed about and all these things that people just lead, you know link onto and say, I'm going to go with this guy. Uh, and then let's round it out. Let's get out of here. So uh, anybody in the punt play range that you're just like, I got to have them with Munoz, you got Horschel, Lanto, Kevin Na, Palmer, Champ, Hughes, Smith, and Leishman, Mr. Plus 30, sitting down <laughs> at the very bottom, yet he's in 25th in the tournament. He starts with a one-stroke uh, one stroke under par. So what are you at down here? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's anyone that, that you got to have in this range, but I also think that, you can certainly dip down that low. I mean, Palmer would probably be my Palmer and Horschel. I feel like would be my two favorites off off the jump. Maybe even Cam Champ as well. But yeah, again, when, when we're picking these guys, we're not expecting them to win or even to really come in the top ten. You're just trying to to get them to move themselves up the leaderboard, make some birdies, and, and score some points. So. Definitely, when we're going this low, not not really too concerned about whether they're starting at even or what. Like Munoz is minus three and only five point nine k, but like yep. it's also Munoz and and he's he's just you know 
generally speaking, not as good a golfer as Horschel or Palmer. Yeah, I think you nailed that. And you're already getting a little bit contrarian by doing that, I think, because if you look at a guy like Munoz, maybe not, because people will say what you just said. But I think, you know, I'll have to have some Lanto. I can't go off him now. If I'm going to play him under 7K, I know it's technically not. If you work out a normal structure, a payout structure, he's going to be right around the same. But at 5.6K and starting in the 16 spot, it's going to be, you know, it's the way we just talked about it. I'll end it on this is that, you know, I'll give you a final thoughts, but uh, it's what we just talked about. Why are you stressing over one or two strokes? Lanto's only got two, but because of that, and because he's so high up the board and his price is so low, I assume yeah. him to be one oh, of the highest God. chalk pieces down here. And people just don't want to play, you know, maybe it's him and Munoz because of where their position is on the board. But that I think is a mistake. Like you said, a guy like Horschel, can get hot in an instant. A guy like Kevin Na, any of these guys can heat up. Even Mackenzie Hughes, he's done it more often than you think. He had to play his way in, not just last week. This was over the last few weeks to get himself into this spot. And you think he's going to just let that crash and burn? I don't. You know, Cam Champ, the same thing. A winner on tour multiple times now. Uh, Leishman even. No one's going to probably go back to him because of the plus 30 and he looks completely out of it. It's just a different event. That's the whole yeah. point. We, you know, you want to talk about DJ and his run. You got a guy like him shooting 80 80 and you say it's still a great golfer. Leishman did not just turn into the worst golfer in the world overnight. He did talk a lot about not, you know, he took the, the shutdown very serious. He stayed at home. He didn't touch a club. Obviously, there's rust there. But when there's only so many guys down in this range that can make your lineup work, I think you should get a little bit unique in that sense versus just trying to leave a bunch of money on the table. So hope you guys like the show. I'll give it to you, TJ. Just any final thoughts on this structure this week up, up and coming and anything else that you want to talk about before we get out of here? I'll just say with only 30 players in the field, don't, don't spread yourself too, too thin. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we, we talk about the size of player pools and you're probably going to want to and have to exclude people entirely from your player pool. And, and maybe it's not going to be the, the most comfortable thing, but it's just that it's a unique event and you know i think it's probably going to be a little wild in terms of predictability but have fun with it put some lineups out there and should be should be a fun unique event that's a little bit of a change of pace from what we usually get just looking forward to it yeah definitely looking forward to it you made some good points there i think that's one of the things and don't tilt too much i mean it's probably an event you know you don't want to go all in it i know people will talk about the advantage because of all the scoring and whatnot but To be honest, a lot of people are pretty sharp nowadays. People are paying attention to this stuff. They all have access to the same Twitter notifications we're getting, and they're following along on all these updates. So you'll want to do stuff a little bit differently. You'll want to tune in, you know, see what's going on with the, you know, ownership and all that stuff. But I do want to say just, you know, lastly, thank you guys so much for tuning into the show with us. TJ, thanks so much for having us on. Producer Devin, Simon, the guy's been putting it on for us. I do appreciate you all. Uh, Everyone that's been tuning in, thank you so much for the support. If you want to follow along, follow me on Twitter at Totag and Tambo. Hit me up in the Discord. Same thing. You guys can get a hold of me there. But we'll be back with some other content. You'll see us again. Just want to make sure you know that. And have some fun this week. Other than that, good luck.